All right, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, come down to verse number 37. One day we'll get to bow down and sing, How Great Thou Art in the Presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful hope. Luke chapter 8 and verse 37. We are picking up where we left off last week. We looked at the passage where Jesus cast the devils out of the maniac of Gadara. The sermon was called Curing Spiritual Madness. And the goal of this is to set the man in his right mind. That's where the devil's going to try to attack, going to try to confuse you in your mind and in your heart. This man, we leave him seated, seated at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And, and guys, if you can get to that point, you're in good shape. If you can sit down and listen to the words of Christ and then apply them. We also saw how the townspeople avoided Jesus. Rather than allow Him to change them, they said, Jesus, just leave town. Verse number 37, we pick up the story. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear, and he went up into the ship and returned back again. Can I just say that if you're going to tell Jesus to go away, he will. He does come to your door and knock because he wants to come into you, sup with you, you with him. He wants to change you. He wants to save you. He wants to have that relationship with you. But if you don't want that, He's not going to stand there knocking forever. You say, but God's a God of second chances. Yes, He is, and third and fourth and on it goes. But eventually there comes a time when Jesus says, hey man, I've tried. I've tried. You know where to find me. I'll be on the other side of the lake. Verse number 38, Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought Him, that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. I'd like to preach to you today, I think a simple sermon called, At Least Be a Soul Winner. At Least Be a Soul Winner. If you would bow your heads with me, let's pray. Father, we ask for your blessing on the message. We ask you please open our ears. Lord, if the ground has not been prepared, just quickly now reach down and stir our hearts so that the seed falls deep into the ground. Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit Lord, might we spend a few, now, a few minutes now in your presence, seated at your feet, hearing from you. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I must admit, the story is a bit odd to me. This man wants to be with Jesus. Seems like Jesus would oblige. Please, Jesus, you've just cast out thousands of devils out of me. Right? A legion. Please just let me be with you. What he's asking, essentially, may I please join your Bible school. The, the apostles were the ones that were with him. Right? Jesus only had a small group that traveled with him 
everywhere. That was the apostolic band, if you will, those 12 men. This former maniac wants to be one of them. Well, you would like to think that Jesus would say, come on, love to have another disciple, but Jesus says, I, I got another plan for you. Now, I'm, I must admit, I, I don't have a verse that tells me why exactly Jesus said, no, you have to go home and do something different. There is a chance this man was a Gentile. Gadara was known to have a lot of Gentiles in it. That would explain why there were pigs nearby. And this is happening, if you know your map at all, the Jordan River. It's east of the Jordan River in a province known as Decapolis. Decapolis had ten cities in it. So it was ten city-states, kind of independent little regions all together. And it was a very Gentile place. So maybe this guy was a Gentile, and that's why Jesus thought, you know, my apostles are Jewish. I have a plan for that. So not now. I can't use you as one of my apostles now. Perhaps this guy had too much baggage from the past, and Jesus, for whatever reason, thought, you know, it's just not going to work out to have you as one of my traveling students. Whatever the case is, I know this. That man at least turned out to be a soul winner. At the very least, that's what he got to do. You may not go into the full-time ministry as a pastor, evangelist, missionary, etc., and that's just fine. But there's one thing every saved person, and I mean every saved person in this room can be, you can be a soul winner. The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. You don't have to have deep theological training. You don't have to have a Bible school degree. You just need to be saved. And you can be a soul winner. Every Christian needs to be a soul winner. I said every Christian. Every Christian needs to speak up. The Apostle Paul, he quotes from Psalm 116, but he makes this point. We believe Therefore, we speak. Isn't that a simple thought? Don't you like simple thoughts? Amen, I like simple thoughts. That's right down, right on my level. I can grasp that. We believe, therefore, we speak. It's such a simple thought, but how is it that slips by so many Christians, so many professing believers? Do you believe this morning that, the, that Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for your sins, that on the third day He rose again? Do you believe that? Do you believe that He lives in your heart in the form of the Holy Spirit? You believe that? Do you tell anyone that? We believe, therefore we speak. Now this passage, in order for it to make sense to you, in order for you to grasp it properly, you need to get your head wrapped around one main thought from verse 39. Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done. Do you see that? Go tell them about the great things God hath done. You look at the end of the verse. The whole city, how great things Jesus had done. Now, guys, we could be here a while talking about how great He is, yes? That's why I, I purposely had our month slip that song in there at the end. How great thou art. And we can talk about the creation that is great. We can talk about things like God parting the Red Sea and making the sun and moon stand still. There's a long list of things that are just great and awesome about our God. But notice in the verse, he says, Show how great things God hath done 
unto thee. At the end of the verse, how great things Jesus had done unto him. So amen. I say let's talk about our great God that formed the world the universe in six days and six nights and then stood back and complimented his own work and said this is very good. A God that can bring his people out from hundreds of years of bondage parting a Red Sea, that's impressive. I mean, we can talk about those things and that's great, but what about you? What great thing has Jesus Christ done unto you? The Bible says, go home, return to thine own house, and show how great things he hath done. So in the passage, I think there's a few great things we need to talk about. Your life is going to be always a little different than mine and anybody else's, but there's going to be some things we all have in common. If you have met the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then all of us are going to agree on these things here this morning. First of all, I want to talk about the great compassion. The great compassion that Jesus had unto this man, and might I say unto this man. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles and and praise God, I'm glad to say, it's good to be saved. Been saved over 26 years and it's just getting better as the days go on. And I'm I'm, I'm not even yet to begin to get to the bottom of how great my, my Savior is. I love talking about what he's done for me. Wasn't that a lovely song the lady sang? No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Why, that's great compassion. I want you to see it in the verse, in the the passage. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he, that's Jesus, went into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. We preached on this a couple weeks ago. You remember? Storm came up. Disciples got scared. Jesus calmed the storm, rebuked the disciples. Then what happened? Last week's sermon. They get to the other side. Jesus meets the demoniac man, this devil-possessed man. Jesus casts the legion out. Then what happens? The people say, leave. You know what Jesus does? Okay, see you guys later. Verse 37, the whole multitude says go, and at the end of verse 37, he went up into the ship and returned back again. You know, eventually, that man who had that great help from Jesus, it must have dawned on him. Jesus crossed the lake in stormy weather just to get to me. Do you understand that? Jesus went across the lake, healed that man, cast the devils out, and then went back to the other side of the lake. He had one thing to do, just help that man that no one else cared about, no one else could help. Jesus went all that distance, went through all that trouble just to help that man. Listen, we can talk about it, and and, and please, this is in the Bible. We should say it, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? That whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I say amen. He loved the world. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Amen. We can talk about it in the, in the corporate sense. Jesus died for the sins of the world. But I, I like where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Listen to this part. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that something? He died for the whole world, but he still is intimately and individually concerned and touched by you. Say, well, I'm just, you know, one of many. I'm, I'm just a small cog in the big machine. Yes, but you're important to him. Here is the off-scouring, the, the throwaways of society. Who would think to help this demoniac man? Jesus. He'd crossed the lake in a horrible storm just to come looking for him. How far did he have to go in your life to find you? You say, well, he came down, he died on the cross, and amen, I like preaching about the cross. But it didn't stop there. If Jesus had only died on the cross, rose again the third day, and stopped there, the message would have never came to you. You know what he did? After Jesus went back, down, or went, went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit down, and we have nicknamed him the bloodhound of heaven. <laughs> Because he's sniffing around on every sinner's trail. He's come to seek and to save. He's looking for you, sinner. If you're here today and you've never been saved, if you've never personally met Jesus, maybe a sermon like this sounds strange and we sing about how great thou art and you see some people get a little emotional. It's because Jesus has done some great things unto me and unto her and unto him and, and, and we get it. We've had this moment. and we got something to talk about. The Holy Spirit tracked me down. Don't you remember that parable? There might be 99 that don't need repentance, but that one sheep that's gone astray. We sing a song like the prodigal son. I wandered in darkness, but the good shepherd sought through the heat and the cold. The 90 and 9 he left in the fold to save this lost sheep who was hungry and cold. So I think I'll go home and eat with the Father. The table is spread. He's waiting for me. And I can see the Father coming down to greet me. And I'm willing to be, oh, please let me be a servant for Thee. He left the 99 to come look for you, you sinner. You say, I struggle to believe that anybody, anyone could love me that much. Friend, you're just going to have to believe it. Just accept it. That's what it is. Jesus didn't cross a lake for you. He came down from the right hand of God to this world that didn't believe in Him, that wanted to reject Him, and He still suffered all that stuff. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the grief. We esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And he said, I still love you. I'll still die for you. And then I'll send the Holy Spirit to track you down. Twenty-six and a half years ago, a man knocked on my door on a Tuesday evening, gave me a gospel track and said, Sir, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? I didn't have a good answer for that. We talked for a while. I showed up at his church the next Sunday, heard the gospel clearly for the first time in my life. My wife came home the next day after work on a Monday afternoon, knelt down by our bedside and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save her. It took me two months to unlearn all the things that religion had taught me all my life growing up. But then the 3rd of August, 1996, I went to that man's house, knelt down in the middle of his living room and gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In that time we had with that pastor, I came to learn the reason he knocked on my door on a Tuesday night was because he was going through a horrible divorce. His wife had run off with another man, took their son with him. And my pastor's heart was so broken that he didn't know what to do to keep his mind off of his problems. And God said, Freddie, go knock on doors. Go hand out tracts. Go preach the gospel to people. Do it all day and all night. Just keep your heart and mind on the things of God. Go look for sinners. Don't think about your wife. Go look for sinners. That's why he ended up on my doorstep on a Tuesday afternoon. Now listen, I'm not saying that God broke up that marriage to save me. I'm saying God used that unfortunate circumstance. In the midst of that man's pain, God said, I can do two things at once. (laughs) I'm going to get this pastor through it, but there's a struggling sinner down there that needs some help. And the Holy Spirit moves on my pastor's heart to come and knock on my door. Why? Because that pastor knew what a difference Jesus had made in his life. He said, I want that same difference to happen in somebody else's life. I'm so glad that when I was not looking for God, God was looking for me. And now I want to tell the world about somebody that truly does care. So there's a great compassion. And I'm sure this man realized that at some point he must have realized that guy, that Jesus, came across the lake just to save me. But this brought about something. That great compassion brought about point two. There was a great change in this man's life. A great change. Listen. I said listen and now I hear a phone. Is that a phone or the ice cream man? (laughs) What a nice little disruption in the middle of the sermon. If I see any of you run out the door for an ice cream now. (laughs) Come on now. I said there was a great compassion that led to a great change. Now you think about this man's life. What didn't change? What did not change for this formerly possessed man? Everything about his life changed. His world got turned upside down. And I'll tell you, that's exactly my testimony as well. After I met Jesus, nothing was the same. And it wasn't just things on the outside. I'm talking about at the deepest most intimate level of me, deep, deep in here in the heart, nothing ever has remained the same. It's all been different since Jesus came in. Can I just speak to the young folks in here just for a moment? You younger kids, maybe 10, 11, 12, 15, somewhere in there, just listen here for a moment. Maybe you're being raised in a Christian home, and you get saved young, and you think, well, I don't have that testimony of living in sin for 20 years, 30 years, and then seeing this great, massive change in my life. Please don't think that your testimony is somehow weak because you didn't have to go through all the pig slop of sin to get back to the Father's house. Here, listen to this now. Young folks, if you've been raised in a Christian home, you are blessed. That doesn't mean you're saved, but it means you're blessed. And you need to thank God for that. And maybe you can say, well, I haven't changed that much, but you step out into the world, you're going to be different. You're going to be different. You're going to look around and go, why is the world doing all these things in my home and in my church and and in my environment, my sphere? Things don't go on like that. 
What is so different and you will have the same testimony as somebody like me that came out of a background of sin? The reason we are different is because of the great compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ reaching down, caring about us when no one else could help us. That's the same story we all tell. But I know many of you have the same story as me. You were not raised in a biblically Christian home. If you're like me, I was raised in a church, but there was no Bible in that church. I never missed one Sunday of church. I never missed one Sunday school class. And yet that church never did anything to change me, to make me different. My life was so full of sin. By the time I was 20, listen, I... I'm not comfortable telling you all the bad stuff. Would, would you accept it this morning if I just said this? My life was full of church and full of sin at the same time. Do you know that's the story for a lot of people this morning? Full of church and full of sin at the same time. Because maybe you've met the church, but you haven't met the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to recognize that difference. I'm so glad that my kids never met the old me. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you, church, you never met the old me. <laughs> Whoo! You don't want to meet the old me. After I got saved, listen, I cussed so much that after I got saved, for two months, I was preaching the gospel to people and putting cuss words into the verses that I was quoting because I didn't know how to talk without a cuss word. Aren't you glad Jesus changed that part? <laughs> That'd be a little bit weird, wouldn't it? It just sounded normal to me. I never fell into addictions, praise God but I was living a completely useless life. You know what I did? I went from achievement to achievement. I was fairly successful for a young man, but I, I, no matter what I achieved, it was never enough. No matter what sinful lust I satisfied, no matter how much I scratched that itch, it still itched. Nothing satisfied. Nothing gave me that joy, that peace, that satisfaction, that contentment to say, now this makes sense. This is worth it. This is how to do it. I'd try it and go, well, that worked. I got what I wanted, but I felt empty. I felt empty. Maybe this sounds right. I sought a flag to follow, a cause for which to stand. I sought a valiant leader who could my love command. I sought a stirring challenge some noble work to try, to give my life fulfillment, my dreams to satisfy. I sought a ringing answer for all my doubts inside, a torch of truth uplifted my searching steps to guide. I sought a word of wisdom, a true authority. I sought to know life's purpose, to solve its mystery. I sought for satisfaction, for yearnings deep within, I sought for full deliverance from chains of guilt and sin. I sought for peace and pardon, for freedom from my fears. I sought a hope to cling to, 
beyond these passing years. I found them all in Jesus. The life, the truth, the way. Beneath His flag, I'll take my stand and follow Him today. That's my testimony. I went and tried this, I went and tried that, but when I got to Jesus, I said, now I've, I've found it. Not a way, not a good way, not a really interesting way, the way, the truth, and the life. And since I've met Him, friend, I am satisfied. I'm satisfied. Listen now, you can give a dog a bath, and he's still a dog. You know that, right? You say, well, pastor, you're preaching about change. You can have a really dirty dog and give him a really good bath, and now he's a really clean dog. The dog, his circumstance changed. He's no longer dirty, now he's clean, but he's still a dog. You know what you need? To be born again. You need to become a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Thank God I'm no longer a dog. I'm a sheep. <laughs> I'm a new creature in Christ. Amen. I don't have that old nature. I, let's say that old nature is there, but I don't have that old nature just living by himself. I got a new nature in there. There's still enough dog in me. My pastor used to say, God leaves just enough fleas in you to remind you that you're a dog. <laughs> I, I, got, I, guess I still have a sinful nature in this body, but praise God, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not a dog herder. He's a sheep herder. He is a shepherd. I'm a new creature with a new nature, and I now have a life worth living. This man, there was great compassion that led to a great change, and that ends up with a great commission. Great commission. He's not going to be an apostle. He's not going to travel the world and set up churches and foreign places. You know what Jesus told him to do? Go home. Go home and tell your family. When you read this in the Gospel of Mark, it says go home and tell your friends. Go home and show your friends and family, look what Jesus did. You know why you start with them? They know you the best. They know the old you. They, they know all those things that the general public doesn't. And when that man, can you imagine how that was when that guy walked in the door of his mom and dad? Said, hey mom, dad, <laughs> what? Is that my boy? You got a haircut and you're wearing clothes and... Is that my son? I mean, they must have been dumbfounded as to what happened. That's the same thing that happened after I got saved. I called my dad, and all I could do is talk about the Lord and the Bible. He says, son, what got into you? Thank you for asking. That'd be the Spirit of God. <laughs> People start to wonder what made that change. Go home and tell your friends and family. Now, it says, you're home, right? Friends and family. It says in verse 39, he published throughout that whole city. He went home to friends and family, and then he went from door to door, from market to market, from group to group, saying, hey guys, you guys remember me? I was that one living in the graveyard. That was me. But now everything is different. And he would tell that story. How many times do you think he told that story? 
over, not hundreds, thousands of times, this is why I'm no longer living in the graveyards naked, and this is why God's changed me. You read this in Mark, it says he not only went to a city, he went to all of Decapolis. He went to ten cities. Jesus just said, go home and tell your friends and family. But you know, after you've met with Jesus, you just can't keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you just got to tell everybody. That leper, you remember that leper that got cleansed? Jesus said, don't say anything, don't tell anyone. You know what the Bible says? He went and blazed abroad the matter. I've often thought that the best way to get Christians to witness and to be a soul winner is to tell them not to. Amen. Hey, don't tell anyone. Shh, it's a secret because we all love to spread gossip. <laughs> don't tell anyone. And then we'd run around telling everybody about how to get saved. <laughs> this man, he went home, friends and family, the whole city, and then thought, who else can I tell? <laughs> and he went to all 10 city-states within that region of Decapolis. Now, listen, Decapolis already had some disciples of Jesus living there. Even before the Sermon on the Mount, there were some people from Decapolis that were followers of Jesus. Not many, but some. Mainly Gentiles there. Mainly Gentiles. Jesus, when he came, he told his, his apostles, go not into the way of the Gentiles. While Jesus was on the earth, he was primarily focused at preaching to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But right after Jesus finished his earthly time, the last thing he said before he went back to heaven, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. It's not tongues. It's telling people about how to get saved. That's how you know a man is filled with the Spirit of God. He can't stay quiet about Jesus. He wants to tell everybody how his sins can be washed away. What'd they say? Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. The plan was, at this time, Jesus says, I'm dealing with the Jews. But give me about, oh, a year or two, and I'm going to make my way to the Gentiles. You know what this guy had to do? The Bible says when he would tell his story, listen to this, all men did marvel. they just stand back and go, wow, he did that for you? He changed you like that? Did he start a church? Did the maniac start a church? Did he hold discipleship classes? You know what he did? This was just the least you can do. He just went around saying, this is how I got saved. You know what he's doing? Planting seeds. He's preparing the ground because about two years after he is finished, the apostles are going to come into that area and start explaining the gospel and explaining the New Testament faith to all of those people and set up churches. And that is exactly what happened in the book of Acts. But Jesus put this guy out in the field sowing some seeds to prepare the way for the next group to come and reap a harvest. Watch this. Take your Bible. Come to John chapter 4. You know why we don't see a lot of people saved in Potch? There's not just one answer to this, but I'll tell you one of the answers. There hasn't been enough sowing of the seed. Amen. There hasn't been enough sowing of the seed. How is it in a church? Listen, this town has over 140 churches in it. Did you know that? 
and you count in the location, over 140 churches. How can we find one Pachonian that has not heard the gospel? How can that? I mean, literally, logically, how is that possible? And yet every time we go out, whether it's a Saturday, Thursday, or any other day, you can pretty much bump into somebody that has never had the gospel explained to them. How is that? John chapter 4, is that where I have you? Look at verse 28. Jesus met the woman at the well in Samaria. You guys remember that story? They have a conversation, and she took a sip of the water of life. Watch what happens when you, when you find out, oh boy, here's the Messiah. This is the Son of God. He just introduced himself to me. Verse 28, and the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You know what she did? She stopped what she was doing, dropped the water pot. Some of you need to drop your water pot. You're just hanging on to the old life. She dropped the water pot. I've met the Messiah. How can I not tell everybody? And she went back into that city, and one after another, they know what kind of woman she is. She's been with a number of men. They know. And now she's coming back. Here's the Son of God. Here's the Messiah. Bible this, Bible that. Worship God, Spirit, and truth. What's gotten into you, sister? (laughs) Jesus just needed to touch one heart. And that one lady, now she's running back to the city throwing out seeds. Throwing out seeds. And when the disciples come back and they see Jesus talking with her, they said, Master, uh, what's going on? Are you hungry? Were you asking her for food? He said, listen, guys, I have meat to eat that you know not of. He said, I'm I'm not busy preparing lunch. I'm preparing a city to be saved. Verse number 35, Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Guys, look up. You know why? There was a bunch of men coming out of the city of Samaria uh, Samaria, just to meet Jesus because that woman said, come see a man. She hadn't been to Bible school. She couldn't answer their Bible questions. She knew one thing. That guy, Jesus, son of God. (laughs) That's the Messiah. Now come see. And now here comes the harvest. Look, Look what Jesus said in verse 36. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you, talking to the apostles, to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. For over a thousand years, the prophets of Israel had been preaching in that area, but they did not see fruit. And now Jesus has shown up, touched the heart of one lady. She's out there bringing people to Christ, and he tells the apostles, Now it's time to harvest. We've been working the ground for centuries. Now you guys get to bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. That's what it is. You're not going to see the harvest until you've worked the fallow ground, broken it up, plowed the ground, thrown in the seeds. Brother, sister, listen, how can we expect to see dozens or hundreds of people saved if there's no plowing and sowing first? 
We should not expect a harvest. It's our responsibility. Listen, the very least we can do is go show this town how great things Jesus has done unto us. You say, well, what if they don't get saved? What if they don't come to church? We're not in it for the immediate results. We're doing it because of what Jesus has done for us. We're not doing it for the results we're going to get. We're doing it because of we, we, that's the least we could do for Him. We have got to get busy sowing the seed. If I can tell you a relevant story to this area, and I say this area, not just Poch, but this province, this part of South Africa. How many of you are familiar with the name Sechele, who was a chief back in the mid-1800s? How many of you know the story of Sechele? There's our Bible school students from last year. <laughs> Sechele was the chief of the Bakwena people. In 1841, he met a man named David Livingston. When Sechele met David Livingston, he could not read. Livingston preached the gospel to him in a place called Kuruman, about five hours from here. And Sechele was the first and only convert of David Livingston. The first and only one. He trained Sechele. He taught him how to read. Sechele began to read in the Setswana language, the only book that then existed in the Setswana language. David Livingston's father-in-law, Robert Moffat, had translated the Bible into Setswana. That was the only book available. He read it, and he read it, and he read it. By 1852, Sechele and Livingston parted ways. Livingston had thought Sechele had backslid. He, he, he had made a mistake, but he was not done with the faith. There was a miscommunication there. Livingston went back to London to do some things and would eventually come back. Sechele went on telling people about the Lord. Livingston never knew this happened. He never, he never found out the rest of this story. Sechele began preaching the gospel everywhere he could go. He went up into what we now call Zimbabwe. By 1859, British missionaries went to that region of Zimbabwe to set up churches. When they got there, they were trying to reach the Zulu Indebele people. When they got there, they found that the, the Zulu people were already organized into local churches, reading their Bibles, singing, praying, preaching to each other. And they said, what happened? And they all, one church after another, said there was this guy named Sechele that came and gave us the gospel and set up a church. Sechele had gone to village to village to village, setting up churches. Tens of thousands of people converted because Sechele kept giving out the gospel. Never formally trained, no Bible school degree, but the least you can do is be a soul winner. Those missionaries showed up to Sechele and said, no, Sechele, you're doing this and this and this wrong. Sechele took out his Bible that he had read the cover off of it. The Bible was threadbare. You understand, he read the cover off of his Bible. He pulled it out and then started showing the missionaries, no, no, you're wrong, here's the verse, here's the verse. And he showed those missionaries where their doctrines were wrong. Even the missionaries stood back and said, where did you learn this? And he just showed them his Bible. He said, right, I've just been reading my Bible. After Sechele got saved, he was still with Livingston. He's starting to learn some things from Livingston. Listen to this question. He asked David Livingston, 
if your forefathers knew about this white throne judgment to come, why didn't they come tell my forefathers? That's the question. If you knew about this, why didn't you come tell me about this? Great question. You know, the gospel had been up there in England by that point for over 1,600 years. Say, Chele has a good question. Why didn't you come tell me? What about my forefathers? Say, Chele said, they all, my ancestors, they all died without knowing this. Well, sadly, that's the truth. Let's put a stop to that. Let's put a stop to that. From this point on, determine in your heart. Why don't you start with this? Just take a moment in reflection as we close to think about the great things that Jesus has done to you. The great change He's made in you. And then determine in your heart, the least I can do is be a soul winner. I'll go as far as God will allow me telling people what Jesus can do for them. Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The pianist will come. Friend, if you need to come this morning, maybe you need to come and just thank the Lord Jesus Christ for the great things He's done unto you. Come and thank Him for that compassion for how much He cared about you. Amen. He, he chased you down. And some of us, we ran for a while. Amen. We ran for a while. You need to come and just say, Lord, thank You. It's hard to believe that You could love somebody like me, but You love me. We love Him because He first loved us. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen, friend, that great compassion, that matchless love, that ought to change you. It should turn your world upside down. You should be different. Friend, if you've never been saved, listen, there's a number of people up here because they have been touched by Jesus Christ. They've met Him as their Savior. How about you? If you want to be saved, would you come this way? Come on this direction. We, we're not going to make a show of it. No one's watching. We'll take you aside quietly, privately. We'll show you from a Bible how Jesus can live in your heart. Would you do that? C come on this way now. Just step out, come this direction. We'd love to help you. I know it's scary. I know. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. It's about a 10 meter walk. Best 10 meters of your life. If you've already been saved, then friend, today, as of today, at least be a soul winner. At least. Come on now, no excuse. At least be a soul winner.
If Jesus could love me that much, how can I stay quiet? How can I not at least try? Give you folks a moment more. You need maybe a moment to think on this, reflect on this. I wonder, have I cared enough for others? Or have I let them die alone? I might have helped a wanderer to the Savior. The seed of precious life I might have sown. The least we can do is sow the seed. Listen, we can reap the harvest 10 years from now. That's fine. Let's get the gospel out there. Father, Lord, my, my heart is full this morning. I've been thinking about these great things you've done for me and Lord, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. I, I wanted to stay calm while I preached today, but I couldn't, Lord. It's just, you've been, you've been so good. You've been too good. Lord, give us a chance this week to go to our friends, our family, to go to the whole city, the whole province, wherever you let us go. We want to tell people what you've done. Thank you for sending your son to die for the world. But thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Me, Lord. Thank you. Help us, Lord, to honor our commitments made here today to at least be a soul winner. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.